Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. My name is Phil Rodriguez. I'm a principal security solutions architect for AWS based in Sydney, Australia. I'm just going to give a little bit of an intro today before Adam Pritijan from Macquarie Group, uh, the cloud division director, comes up to talk through today's talk, uh, regulated financial services uh, moving into the cloud. Um, my own journey with Macquarie started a couple years ago before I moved to Australia, so it's real great to be able to continue the relationship with them. Their journey with AWS started even earlier than that, around 2012, after we opened a region in Sydney. Um, they started talking to us, and within a few years, had really started their cloud migration. Um, so why are we up on stage today? Like, what are we here to talk about? Well, at AWS, we're still hearing from some of our financial services customers things like, well, I can't really run my bank in the cloud. And then they go on to describe maybe concerns that their internal risk teams have, or maybe the sensitivity of the personal information that they have from their customers, or maybe the complex regulatory environment that they operate in. This talk today is to overcome all those objections and dispel all those myths. Macquarie Group is a global financial services company operating in regulated markets all over the world that has been quite successful in completing a cloud transition. Uh, they're gonna come up and go into a lot of detail on this. Um, so, Today's talk uh, really focuses on the security controls that they've embraced and automated and driven into their automated governance platform. Uh, and we'll be getting into both business focus and technology focus around this today. So if you're here to learn about how culture can drive cloud, uh, the positive change in the cloud, uh, and we're also gonna talk about, again, from a technical perspective, how to build these automated governance platforms that have been so successful in helping our more regulated customers transition into the cloud. Uh, if you're an exec, you're going to hear direct testimonials from other execs on similar journeys. If you're a cloud engineer, we're going to go into technical detail around the strategy behind building these platforms. And if you're a dev, you're going to hear examples of how Macquarie Group empowers its developer community to be able to embed security into what they're building while freeing up them up to build the apps that they need for their specific line of business. Uh, today's talk is a 300 because we assume that you've got good knowledge across a wide range of AWS services, from KMS to CloudFormation to RDS. Today's talk is also a 300-level talk because although Adam will give a lot of perspective uh, and business context to what he's discussing, he is going to dive into some code examples in the middle. Macquarie has successfully embraced the security best practices that AWS has endorsed. They've automated these best practices and created guardrails for their business to keep them safe uh, online and in the cloud. And finally, they've taken this automation and driven it down into an automated build process that allows them to operate at scale and stay secure. So Macquarie's proven very successfully that they're able to accelerate as quickly as possible while remaining completely in control. They're really going to show us that it's possible to move fast and stay secure. Without further ado, thanks, Adam. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Phil. Um, so my name's Adam Prettyjohn. I work for Macquarie Group. Uh, we are an Australian-based company and uh, operate in a global market as well. So I'm here today to talk about the journey that we've been on to cloud. So how have we gone about adopting cloud technologies while still making sure we meet all of our regulatory, security, compliance, and resilience objectives. And I'll go through both the structure of our company, how we work, through to the principles we put in place for cloud, 
and then we'll deep dive into the actual technology that we've built out and our approach to actually adopting cloud, uh, cloud technology such as Amazon Web Services. So before I jump into the technical, a little bit about who is Macquarie. So you can probably pick from my accent, I am from Australia. Um, and Macquarie started off as an Australian financial services institution um, and has now moved out across the globe. So in terms of Macquarie, we operate in 27 countries. We have just shy of 14,000 employees and our business is quite diversified. So we have both um, annuity style businesses. So these are things that you're pretty used to, uh, normal banking, so credit cards, checking accounts, mortgages. Uh, right through to financing for assets, so things like aeroplanes, airports, toll roads. And then we have our commodity markets businesses as well. So these are things where we're trading in uh, electricity and gas, all the way through to agricultural uh, commodities, foreign exchange, interest rates and bonds. And that diversity, that uh, range of portfolio has meant that our systems inside of Macquarie need to be able to go and hand, handle a lot of different types of assets. And as a result, we have a very diversified application portfolio. So our journey to the cloud was really to drive two key outcomes for our business. So number one, to drive agility, and secondly, to drive innovation. And by now, you might be starting to wonder what the logo is that's up in our top right-hand corner that's on all of our slides. So, a little bit of history around that, and I find it's a really good tale about innovation in financial services. So a couple of hundred years ago, when, when Australia was a penal colony, the governor at the time, Governor Macquarie, decided that it was time for Australia to have its own currency. So he went out and he bought Spanish silver dollars. And rather than just using them as they were, he actually arranged for them to be stamped and by doing so, he actually turned two co one coin into two different coins and doubled the number of coins that were in circulation. And this innovation, this different way of approaching, um, approaching finance is something that we're doing on cloud today and is really one of the key drivers for us adopting cloud technologies. Now, the two names of these coins, um, quite interestingly, the smaller one is called the dump. Uh, the large one is actually referred to as the holy dollar. And when we're talking about holy dollar, it's not something religious. Australians are quite literal when it comes to things. Uh, if you've ever been to Australia and seen a red-bellied black snake, I'm sure you can guess what colour it is. Uh, no, it's a holy dollar because it has a hole in the middle of it. So that's where we're heading towards. And it was really that in innovation and agility that we were driving to. And to be able to get there, we had to go and really bring three key areas of our organisation together. So we had our business drivers. We knew that we wanted to innovate. We knew that we wanted to build out new technologies. We had our technology department. We needed to be able to coach them and train them in using new cloud solutions. But finally, we also needed our risk management group. So we are a heavily regulated financial services institution. We need to make sure that we're always in compliance with our regulators and meeting all of our obligations around the globe. And we needed to make sure that we brought these three areas together and worked holistically to deliver a common platform for how we could secure cloud. And by doing so, we've managed to actually deliver cloud innovation. 
So to set the scene on the challenges and what we hope to get out of cloud, um, I have a quick video. It features a key representative from each of these three areas. So Tony Graham, who runs our product development inside of our banking and financial services division. Jeffrey Smart, who runs our infrastructure technology globally. And Stephen Allen, who runs risk management group for Macquarie. And they're going to quickly talk about those challenges we saw with cloud, but also the potential upside and what we we're hoping to get out of the journey. When we started the cloud journey, we set out to achieve two things. The first one was to be more nimble and, and agile. And the second was to be able to access the variety of services that are available on the cloud quickly and easily. I think what we wanted to achieve on our cloud journey was to uh, use this as one of our key platforms to achieve our aspiration of being the number one digital bank. And so as we thought about that vision, what we need is platforms that are going to enable that. I've long thought about what we'll do in the technology space and particularly with the cloud. I've been worried for a long time about losing control of what we do, I'm thinking about the downside, the regulatory risks and the issues we have. And yet on the other hand, I've always think to myself, think about the telephone network. You know, would I ever think about stringing a bit of copper or a fiber optic cable between here and another firm? Of course not. The world's moved on and we accept that we have a infrastructure that we all use. And I've seen the cloud the same way. I see great opportunity. We want to do it in a controlled and careful way so we get it right because there are risks but I see huge upside. I think from a business perspective, it's really uh, being able to leverage the cloud to, to deliver these amazing features that are going to provide a great client experience. So what I'm excited about is the, the unlimited storage, the unlimited compute, you know, the elasticity. We expected there was going to be a lot of challenges. We expected to uh, have a reasonable amount of focus from our RMG group on security and, and process. And lastly, we're expecting to have a reasonable amount of challenge with change, so driving the change in culture across the organisation. We have 215 regulators around the world. We operate a highly regulated business, and it's essential that we're always complying with all those regulations. And so what we needed to do was to be able to work through and understand the risks that we were taking on and, and how uh, we would operate in, uh, in a cloud environment and then therefore making sure that we've got all the appropriate controls around it. And then we think about the stakeholders, our customers, our employees, governments and the communities we work in. And we have to think about how, what impact that will have. A lot of our systems get used, people use them for day-to-day -day processing of their business, of their personal finances. We needed to make sure we were managing the risks so that they were able to continue to operate as they want to. So we had to be really clear about what we were doing, how we're going to manage uh, the data in the cloud, how we're going to manage the security around the cloud. And, and make sure we're doing that in a really measured and, and appropriate way. Rightio. So hopefully that gave you a little bit of an idea on the challenges, but also the upsides that we're seeing with moving to the cloud. So to set the scene, when we decided to move to the cloud, we first off went and looked at our portfolio and what made up Macquarie. And I'm sure in the room you'll see a number of the things I'm about to bring up which are inside of your organisation as well. So for us, one of the key things we had to consider when moving to the cloud was we are heavily regulated. So as Stephen mentioned, over 200 regulators globally and we need to make sure we're always in compliance with that. We are globally distributed, 27 countries. We have four key IT hubs around the world. Sydney, New York, London and Hong Kong.
but we have branch offices that hang off of that. And when meshing into the Amazon Web Services network, we needed to make sure that we could run our applications globally. We have a very diverse application portfolio. So Tony Graham spoke about our new digital banking platforms we're building out, and they're using the latest technologies that are cloud native. However, we also have back office processes that are using off-the-shelf technologies. And our journey to cloud needed to cater for all of this. We didn't want to just do the latest and greatest. We wanted to make sure we could host as many applications as we could on the cloud. Our businesses are very opportunistic. We're always looking at new markets, new areas to move into, and our application portfolio needs to be able to change to meet that. And finally, our organisation itself is quite dynamic. We actually change our divisions and bring things together um, as required to find synergies and to make things efficient or more effective. And this operating model was how we went about defining what are the key principles that we need behind adopting cloud. And those principles are these ones here, and I'm quite proud of them. They, they are the same principles we put together two and a half years ago when we started our journey to cloud. And I'll quickly go through them. So down in the bottom left-hand corner, we have buy rather than build. So we love building software in Macquarie. Uh, we have a number of developers, and engineering is part of what we do. However, moving to cloud was an opportunity to use Amazon to do that heavy lifting for us. Rather than managing our own infrastructure, could we have someone else do it on our behalf? We decided to, be, to take a very customer-focused approach to how we adopted cloud. So our technology division, the way that we were actually operating it, we spent a lot of time with our customers. They were our developers that were in the business, building new systems, right through to our business people and to their end consumers. And we made sure that the way that we were building out our cloud solution matched what they required. We approached it in a very application-centric way. And I'll touch on this quite a lot today. Rather than treating your infrastructure on Amazon Web Services as infrastructure, you should be thinking about the application. The infrastructure is just a component of it. We used Agile and DevOps principles to deliver it. Cloud is moving so rapidly now, I don't think you can put in place a year or two year two-year-long waterfall project. Uh, the underlying platforms will have changed so dramatically during that time. And as we built this out, we learned more and more about immutable infrastructure, and it became one of our foundations around how we deliver our process. And the final one, and really the topic for, that we're talking about today, is ensuring that we had security, compliance, and resilience in depth and by design. We made sure that it wasn't something that we were bolting on as an afterthought. It was a fundamental pillar on how we delivered our solution. So they were our principles. And from there, we went through to how we actually implemented our solution. So the first thing that we came up with was we wanted to make sure we had a standardized deployment framework. We wanted to make sure that we knew everything that was running in our cloud environment, that it was going through the same checks and balances, and that we knew that it was all catalogued and available for us to report on. We chose continuous delivery and infrastructure as code as the way that we interface with Amazon Web Services. I'll talk about this a fair bit. And then finally, um, we had extendable engines that enabled us to go and put inline controls, preventative controls, that are pluggable and put security and compliance first. 
That formed the basis of our platform. The last thing we needed was our continual assurance. So we needed to make sure that at all times, we were doing continual assurance about how we were running the platform, and the method we chose for that is something called scorecarding. And from this, we built out what we call our cloud governance platform, or a Macquarie cloud platform, uh, that we call Arturo internally. So I'm going to deep dive on each of these key topics and talk through the lessons that we learned as we went through it. So standardized deployment frameworks. So when we started our cloud journey two and a half years ago, we did like a lot of companies. We ran a few POCs and pilots, and they were highly successful. So in the space of three weeks, we managed to spin up uh, a public-facing website. We ran grid compute on top of Windows and Linux, and we did a big data analytics process uh, running on Redshift. And we were quite successful, and the, the organization was really excited by it. But what we learned quite quickly as we started to move from those pilots and pocs into a dev-style environment was spinning up the infrastructure by hand and having people manually doing things just wasn't going to scale. So we took a step back and we looked at how could we rethink this. And what we ended up doing was building a portal where people could register their applications. So all of our developers, all of our teams go into this portal. They type in the details of their app, so the service name, the application name but they also associate metadata against it. So what type of information does this application contain? Is it public facing? Is it internal use? How critical is the application? Is it something that our developers are using, like a build server? Or is it a, is it a business function that we need to make sure is deployed across multiple availability zones or regions? And by collecting this metadata, we then had the opportunity to actually put in place um, automated governance. So the other thing that came off the back of this, which, which was a really good outcome we weren't expecting on day one, was because everything was application-centric and we were associating infrastructure with applications, we now had a dynamic CMDB. So I don't know if anyone else that's been in the room that's had to manage an on-premise, traditional-style CMDB, it is nearly impossible to make sure they're always in sync. For our cloud-based CMDB, we know that every time an app is deployed, Every time it's decommissioned, the infrastructure is always associated with it, and we have a really good handle on our inventory. So that was the first piece that we developed, so that, that standardized catalog and application-centric view of the world. The next problem we had to work through was how are we actually going to deliver these apps out into the cloud? So we'd already tried out the approach of manually provisioning things and decided that just wasn't going to scale. So we turned to continuous delivery to do it. Um, and infrastructure as code. So a quick show of hands, uh, who, which organizations or who in the audience are actually using CD or infrastructure as code today? Fantastic. It is an excellent tool. So we think it makes a really big difference to how you can manage uh, your delivery out into cloud and also make things very agile and efficient. So the process that we go through, so we register an application in Arturo which has all of that metadata. Our development teams, the people that are actually building the applications, not a, separate, not a separate department, write the infrastructure as code. And we use CloudFormation for that. And then they check that into our source code repository. And when we check it in, we actually put it right next to our application code. We then provision the infrastructure out on Amazon Web Services via our pipeline. 
And then because we have the application code and the infrastructure code sitting side by side, we then automatically provision the app too. And really, this is where it's quite magic. The fact that we're bundling the infrastructure and the app together means that we can actually go a long way towards immutable deployments or immutable infrastructure. And the fact that when we deploy an application out, we know it's not going to change. We know that we don't need to log into it. We don't have to worry about people manually tinkering and, making, and, and resulting in config drift. That means that we actually have a highly repeatable and auditable process. So every time someone makes a code change, be it to the infrastructure, so changing the pattern that they're using or changing the size of a machine, right through to the changing an application configuration, it always goes through this same continuous delivery process. And we, we can see who made the code change, who approved the pull request, who approved the deployment of the infrastructure out into the cloud, and then who signed off the automated release into production. And that makes sure that we still have our segregation of duties, even though we are operating in a DevOps model. The other thing that came off the back of this, which was quite exciting, is because we had a highly repeatable and auditable process, it meant that our development teams could spin up as many copies of exactly the same environment as they required. So if I have half a dozen people in a development team, they can have half a dozen environments. And because it all comes from source code, we know it is all identical. In a similar way, we're releasing a new product out to market, and we, we have 10 or 12 people that are going to do uh, user acceptance testing. We can give them all their own environments to test against and avoid cross-test pollution. So this has been quite a, a fundamental thing for us. The, the one caveat I would put against it is it does take time. So for us, we had to go and engineer a lot of our applications to automatically install and to automatically heal. But once they're done and once they're running in production, you, you get it paid back in spades. Your applications are automatically recovering. Your operational processes are much, much simpler. So at this stage, we have an application register and we have infrastructure as code and continuous delivery. The third thing that we needed to be able to use this is building into that pipeline automated security and compliance controls. And for us, this was really the key to it. Because we had a pipeline, because we knew that everything was provisioned in exactly the same way, we could put in place strong preventative controls. And they're things like compliance. Should this app be running on the cloud? Lifecycle management, we automatically spin up and tear down environments as they're required, right through to security logging, security groups, and encryption. And this is where we're going to spend a bit of time today. I'm actually going to deep dive into some of the techniques that we've used and um, some examples of the code of where we've actually put these inline preventative controls. Really, the problem that we were trying to solve and, and the thing that was really critical to us was how can we delegate all of this power that we're seeing in Amazon Web Services out to our organization at scale. We did not want to have large departments of people sitting there manually provisioning infrastructure whilst ensuring that our security and compliance was first, doing it with a minimal amount of effort, and still enabling that business agility and innovation, which was the key reason for us moving to the cloud. 
So I'm going to use an example. Like all good Amazon presentations, you need to have at least one diagram up on the screen during it. And for us, the diagram is about an ecosystem of apps rather than an individual product. So if you're working inside of an organization, I'm sure, like me, it's very rare that you have applications that exist in isolation. They are always hooked into other systems. So for this particular example, we have a trading system, an example trading system on the left-hand side. Uh, it is used by internal customers. It has a load balancer on the front with an auto-scaling set of worker nodes. And it's pulling information from a database doing some calculations and analytics over the top, and then writing it through to an S3 bucket. Then we have two other apps that interact with it. So on the top right-hand corner, we have an administrative console. So that's where someone can log in, tune the different models, set them up, the timing and everything like that. And then on the bottom right-hand corner, like in a lot of organizations, there's another application that does uh, group-wide analytics. And the team that's running this trading system doesn't really know a lot about it. All they know is that it requires access to their S3 bucket to be able to pull down data for doing those analytics. So this is the environment that we're going to talk through. Uh, the first one we're going to cover off is the MySQL database. So how do you go about securing a MySQL database um, and enabling your developers to be agile at the same time? So I'm a developer by trade. Uh, that's kind of my background. And when I first came across RDS, I was quite amazed at how easy it was to actually spin up a database. But as soon as you spin it up and you're getting ready to go into your, uh, your environments, you start to have to ask a few questions. So as an example, do I need to encrypt my RDS database? By default, they're not. So should I be turning it on? Uh, the answer, of course, is yes. Sensitive information, absolutely, you should be encrypting it. But then. What keys should I actually be using for my encryption? Do I just use the keys in my master account? Should I actually be running separate keys for each of my applications? And then as you start to head through to production, you, you get questions like, should I be multi-AZ? Is my application critical enough that I should be putting that in place? And then finally, how do I take RDS backups? Do I just use the standard? Or is my data important enough that I should be running on a more aggressive backup schedule? So when we started to see these questions cropping, out from, cropping up from our development community, we decided that rather than every individual person in, that's writing these systems in our organization having to answer and learn these, and rather than putting together a piece of paper for them to go and read, we decided we'd actually just automate it. So we took, we took CloudFormation, we added some metadata to it, and based on that metadata, we can automatically set particular principles as we build our CloudFormation stacks. I'll give an example of what that means. So if you've built an RDS database before using CloudFormation, hopefully this is, this is familiar, um, all the normal stuff on the top. But what we have is this additional metadata that we've injected into the CloudFormation. And this is what our development teams write. And because they have that additional metadata there, based on the data set, which we actually retrieved from the application that we'd registered earlier, um, we can then start to make some, some sensible questions and some sensible defaults. So number one, based on that, we turn encryption on automatically. And we set the KMS key that we're going to use. We also automatically tag the information so that we can know the type of data that's running in this system. 
And then finally, we set the deletion policy so that we know if anyone ever deletes this database, we always have a copy of the last set of data. And by doing this, it means that our development teams don't need to spend their time on these things. They can spend their time on innovating for our businesses. So I'll talk through another example next. So uh, identity and access management. How do I give this analytics app that's sitting on the right-hand side access to the S3 bucket that's having data produced into it? And similar again, dealing with identity and access management can be complex. So you have resources and principles, condition keys. You know, how do you do sharing of IAM between accounts or entities? And then finally, how do you make sure that no one in your organization ever sets a principle to public on an S3 bucket? So we took this and taking an application-centric approach again, we, we build up snippets of CloudFormation. So in this example, we say that for, for the right workers, the middle tier of our web application, they can actually write and delete from a set of S3 buckets. And then the analytics app is given access to read off that bucket. Now, what's interesting about this is with 10 or 12 lines of, of code, we actually go through and generate dozens of lines of identity and access management principles without our developers needing to learn all of the detail behind it and making sure that every single time we build an application, every single time we build an environment, it's always done consistently. So the final example I'm going to go through is security groups. This is probably my favorite. Um, when moving to the cloud, it was a great opportunity for us to make sure we were doing micro-segmentation across our components, across our applications. And by doing that, it obviously reduces your blast radius risk between systems. However, security groups are pretty complex. Cider blocks, you know, uh, VPCs, setting all of those ranges up. And if you're working in an application-centric model, you don't really want to think about that. All you want to know is this application is allowed access to this other application. So once again, the same principles. How do I control access um, to my application, say ingress, whilst also ensuring that my application can only talk to the things that should be downstream, say egress? And we've taken that application-centric approach again. So we define ingress rules. And this is an ingress rule saying that my application can receive traffic from the devices that are on my network. We then have an ingress rule for the worker component that says they can talk to each other on port 5555. And then finally, we have an ingress rule for my, the MySQL database, saying the only thing that's allowed to talk to it are those workers. And because it's all defined in code, we can actually build ingress and egress rules automatically between all of them. And if we have applications that need to talk to each other, we can actually automatically build the rules between all of them as well. So you never end up with a scenario where someone goes, it's too hard. I can't get my, my ingress and egress right. I'm just going to set it to 0, 0, 0, 0. So from those lines of code, similar to identity and access management, we then go through and generate quite a lot of security group definitions, all done consistently, all done without 
our developers needing to worry about how to go and configure those CIDR blocks. So at this stage in our journey, in terms of building out a common platform to be able to use for managing our cloud consumption, we have an application register, we have a continuous delivery pipeline with inbuilt protective controls, and the final thing that we needed was continuous assurance. And for us, we decided to approach that with a scorecard mentality. So similar to Trusted Advisor, um, we decided that the best way to do it was actually start scoring the applications that are running in our environment. And because we had an application-centric approach to it, we knew all the infrastructure underneath every app and what they contained. And we could start to do things like, how are you going financially? How well optimized are you? What are you doing around your data management? Resilience, security, and best practices. So in terms of what that looks like, here's a mock-up application we put together. So a commodity markets, uh, markets insights application. And you can see here how it's going against its budget. How many environments it's got running in dev test at any particular point in time. Because as I said earlier, we can have an arbitrary number of environments now right through to our assurances around how well is things like stack roles and continuous delivery paradigms being used. And these are produced all the time and handed out automatically to the application owners. But the interesting thing that came off the back of this wasn't that we could produce information for applications. It was the fact that we could actually start rolling this up. So we could go from applications to services all the way up to portfolios and we could actually start to see how effective we were doing and our risk posture across a portfolio of applications. And we found this is really, really powerful. So it enabled us to let our developers and our business teams move rapidly and empowered them to deliver, but also made sure that with that empowerment, they were very accountable too. So that's how we, how we decided to build it. How did we actually go? So at this point in time, we have over 100 production applications running out in public cloud, all using this exact same model, and hundreds of dev, te dev test solutions. Every month, our development teams provision over 10,000 environments via our continuous delivery pipeline, all autonomous, all developer-driven, Zero touch. And probably my favorite statistic that's come off the back of this is when we first set up our cloud team, it was a two pizza box team, half a dozen people. That is the same size team that we have today. And they are delivering for every one of those engineers, every one of those cloud developers, they enable over 100 developers in, inside of our organization to be effective. So that leverage that we've got from making that upfront investment in terms of automation uh, has paid off in spades. So what were the keys to success? What are, the, what are the takeaways from this? So the first thing was one team, one dream. So bringing our business technology and risk management uh, division together and working as a unit to build a holistic platform meant that we could move much more, far, much more quickly than we expected. We put together that, that cloud center of excellence. So half a dozen people that learned the core and then went out and worked with all of our teams to make them effective. 
We embraced DevOps and SecOps and DevSecOps and InfraOps and any other ops you'd like to name. Um, that was really fundamental. And because we moved to a model where the developers owned their whole stack, infrastructure and app, it made it much easier to move to that. And then the final one was we learned to really listen to our customers. So we spent time with our businesses. We spent time with our developers at their desks, listening to how they wanted to use Amazon Web Services, listening to how they wanted to deliver products. And then the final piece that came out of this was the culture. It became very clear that we needed to continually build our culture, move to that DevOps mindset, enable people to move rapidly, and move away from our traditional ways of working. So this is what we put in place. I've got another quick video featuring the same three key stakeholders that we had earlier from our business, technology, and risk management division. And then a quick talk about what it's done to our culture inside of Macquarie and the changes that we've seen come out from our cloud journey. Our journey to date to the cloud has been exciting. We're really happy with the progress that we've made. One of the key things that we did was start with a real test and learn mentality and, and we think that that process has, has really helped. We've moved about 25% of our servers across to a combination of private and public cloud. We have most of our development and testing now done on public cloud. We've gone through, we've rolled things onto the cloud and we haven't seen drawbacks from it because in fact it has been pretty seamless so far. We are seeing uh, better response times for clients. We, we're seeing we've delivered on a simplified architecture and we've, we've made real the benefits of unlimited compute and unlimited storage. So we're rolling out business features to clients like unlimited search, we've rolled out natural language search. All of these which are being facilitated by the fact that we can store our data in the cloud and access it really easily and most importantly really quickly. Where we found things went easier than we, than we perhaps expected was with our risk management group and our security group where we're able to really partner with them and move quickly. Uh, the area that we found a little more challenging was moving, was changing the culture within the organisation. An example of a challenge that we had was people that worked in the traditional infrastructure group initially feeling that they were being left behind by the cloud team. We realised that was happening quite quickly and we engaged with that team and, and really, in, really spent time explaining how the cloud journey can make them successful and how their traditional skills are also important in what we're building in cloud. And now what's exciting is we've got a whole bunch of new thinking that's come in from the outside combined with, with the great team that we have in Macquarie. I think another key benefit being in the cloud is this ability to run multiple environments and to be able to spin them up really, really quickly. And, uh, and most importantly, we're getting that great client feedback so that when we go to production, that we're, we're, we're rolling out things that we know clients really find value with. So for Macquarie and Cloud, the, the future is that we're going to be able to go a lot faster. Our developers are able to access new services as soon as they're available on Amazon or elsewhere. And our businesses are now much, much more responsive to changes in the market and bringing new product to market. With many uh, cutting edge technologies, what we want to do is we want to be continually looking at what it can do and thinking about what the opportunities are for us. And equally important is 
I, I find with so many of these technologies is it's not until you get them in people's hands that you realize all the opportunities. So what I want is some of our people to be out there experimenting and looking at things we can do. And of course looking at other people in, in, in our industry and in related industries to see what they're doing and make sure we're quick adapters of new innovations that come from the cloud. We're really excited about really the unlimited potential that we have. Now that we've moved to the cloud and we've simplified our architecture, we've really sort of unleashed this power of, of being able to deliver amazing features into our digital applications. So for us really is, it's an unlimited potential and we're just excited to get going. At Macquarie, our people are our most important asset. We have invested in new inspiring workplaces that encourage our people to interact and work together more effectively. We are adopting agile and DevOps models to drive increased enablement and delivery and to allow us to be more nimble. We encourage the exploration of new technologies and industry innovations and are encouraging our teams to engage across the industry to seek new ideas. We're seeing the benefit of this approach already in enabling innovation both within technology and our businesses. The thing I like about Macquarie the most is probably the people I get to work with. Really smart, enthusiastic, driven people. I love the uh, diversity um, that Macquarie provides you. I love the culture, the opportunities and the work that I do. It's a very fun place to work, like I wake up, I actually get excited about coming to work. As a graduate, I feel like there's um, a lot of opportunities to learn. I love that it's always interesting and something new to do. Um, and I love the flexibility in that it supports my family and working life. Lots of different technologies, uh, now working on cloud, which is really exciting. I love that there's always opportunities and that my mind is constantly challenged. Okay, so hopefully that's giving you a little bit of an idea on what we got out of the cloud in the end. So it wasn't only the agility and innovation, it was also the change in culture that we're starting to see across our organisation. So just to recap, for us, really, the way that we were able to achieve cloud innovation was bringing together those three key areas. So there's one thing I'd, I'd suggest you take away today, it's make sure that your business your technology and your risk management group are all working in harmony to deliver that cloud innovation outcome. And if you're interested, shameless plug, <laughs> we're always out there looking for new cloud technologists to join us, helping us to really change the way we're doing banking and reinventing uh, digital banking inside of Macquarie, inside of Australia as well. So thank you for your time. I'm gonna hand back over to Phil to close up for today. Thanks, Adam. All right, so I'm just going to touch on a couple key resources for people in the audience and everybody that's listening on video uh, to really take this forward, depending on what part of the organization they work in right now. And I'll use those three key stakeholders that Adam's been talking through the whole time. So for the risk management teams, a great starting point with this entire journey is AWS Artifact. This is our free self-service portal into the wealth of different compliance reporting and information that we've got. And there's a wide range of things available in here. For example, our global financial services regulatory principles white paper. It's got about five key principles inside of it from uh, uh, non-technology concerns like risk management and oversight to more technology concerns like uh, highly distributed systems and availability as well as reversibility. 
Other resources specifically geared towards financial services are our adherence to external compliance regimes like the payment card industry's uh, uh, data security standard. Uh, this is a wealth of information between around all our process and technology controls as checked by an external PS PCI DSS auditor uh, and weighs in at about 300 pages, so a lot of detail there. And then finally, we've got country-specific regulatory guidance uh, in many of the markets that we operate in around the world. Uh, talking from an Australian customer today and being based in Australia, just wanted to let everybody know that uh, APRA, which is the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, uh, we have guidance specifically aligned to their uh, management of security risk in IT uh, that shows what they're asking to see in all of our below-the-line controls of security of the cloud to help customers in Australia with any of those regulatory conversations. And we have for the same for the US, the UK, Singapore, and many other countries. For those in the technology teams, I'm going to assume that you're familiar with cloud, uh, uh, and so I'm not going to do any services, but we feel like the quick starts are the best point to help you on your journey. So these are templatized, um, can be automated builds of very popular infrastructures and architectures. I would say with a real focus on making sure that they're secure and highly available. For example, we have a specific quick start that aligns to NIST in all of the various security controls that it's asking for. This is by far the most common US government specifications around security. Many other governments around the world do follow these guidelines as well. Uh, and every security control that you need has been baked into this. Uh, we also have, I mentioned PCI before, I'll mention it again. This is an automatic build of an architecture that's compliant to the PCI DSS standard, as much as we can do with security controls in the cloud. And both of these resources are good from a technical perspective. Also along with them is a complete control statement of every control that these standards are looking for and how we've chosen to implement this control inside of these technology architectures. Outside of security and compliance, we've got other solution-specific quick starts. I pulled one out here, but there's very many. For example, this is a great start on your big data journey for how to build a data lake out of native AWS services. For the business teams, we really feel like the cloud adoption framework is the best starting point. So this is sponsored by our professional services group, and it's the distillation of their practical experience in working with thousands of customers around the world over the last 10 years. It contains a lot of very good guidance around business concerns. For example, for your finance teams, how am I gonna be budgeting for this new cloud consumption model that we're moving into? Um, people is a huge part of getting your cloud transformation journey right. So the people perspective, we call it, talks about how you're gonna train and educate uh, these teams to make sure that that knowledge is there, and especially how to organize your teams properly to take advantage of the agility of the underlying technologies. Adam talked a lot about this and them really trying to embrace DevOps. And finally, the governance perspective looks at a lot of the higher order things. For example, how do you effectively manage a cloud transformation project, project? And what does good look like? What are the business management outcomes that I'm really looking for as I transform to the cloud? In addition to these three non-technical perspectives, there's also a number of technical perspectives available in the cloud adoption framework as well. Okay, so everyone that's sitting here right now is thinking, how do I do what Macquarie did? But I'm sure that there's some people that are thinking, well, I may not have the people or the organization or the ability to really move this forward myself. The best starting point if you're in that situation is reaching out to any one of the many partners that we have around the world, in this case, more specifically in our consulting partners. 
Uh, there are a huge wealth of, of, of uh, information and ability, and there's a number of them that now specialize in very similar things to what Adam just described, these automated governance platforms that are really being such a big success for our regulated customers. Uh, for example, if you're in Australia, uh, just search for Australia in the Partner Network website and instantly get the list of 288 different partners, both technology and consulting, that are available to help. Okay, so three key takeaways from my perspective. The first is, just like Adam said, the start of their journey, security starts on day one. They have been successful at Macquarie because they embrace security, risk, and compliance at the very, very, very beginning of their journey and made sure that security was always an important part of them throughout the whole thing. At AWS, security is always our top priority. Make it your top priority and get the security, risk, and compliance teams involved in these activities from day one. A big area that we're starting to see now is compliance loves automation. These platforms, very similar to what Adam has described, automate things so they happen in a repeatable way every single time. They build infrastructures that potentially never change unless an audited review has actually happened before a code push. So they're very transparent and there's a lot of detail around the controls that exist in those environments. I think it's very obvious to technology teams the benefits that automation bring and we're starting to see internal compliance and external audit teams really embrace technology tools and start to bring us in this awesome reality of new continuous automated compliance. And then finally, financial services definitely runs in the cloud. You just heard an example of a leading financial services company that works in highly regulated markets around the world and the success that they've had in their cloud transformation using all those stats that Adam just shared with us. Uh, we talked in the very beginning around some financial services companies still felt like they had some objections. I hope that we've shown you good, solid data points today for how to overcome those objections. So, at Amazon, we love feedback. I want everybody to take out your phones right now, open up the app for this talk, and please give us some feedback on what you thought worked or didn't work today. So do that right now, please. And if you want to get in contact with us, here's our information and we'll be available here to ask uh, questions individually. So either come down and talk to us right now or come on down under to Sydney and talk to us anytime. Thanks very much.